the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada. Today's guest, Warrant Officer Glenn Moore, CD, Infantry Platoon 2IC, the Royal Regiment of Canada. They were setting the sights, but I got through it. I remember the course officer, he goes, I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't think you were going to get through this course. I went, yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your comments and feedback. And then he went on, he said, but the bottom line is, and he gave me some really good highlights and stuff that I did during the field part. But once you get out in the field, in my opinion, it's a different ball game because that's where you really have to put everything into play. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Before I start off with today's guest, I want to address very briefly the intro. So what happened on the intro? Typically I play Johnny Cope, which is the traditional tune to get things started at the beginning of a parade night in the Toronto Scottish Regiment, at least when I was the company sergeant major there. So I kicked it off with the British Grenadiers by the Band of the Royal Regiment of Canada. So why did I choose to do that? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, I have permission from the commanding officer of the Royal Regiment of Canada to use the music of the regiment in the production of the show. So since I have that permission, I might as well take advantage of that situation. And today's guest is Warrant Officer Glenn Moore from the Royal Regiment of Canada. Now, before I get too deep into his intro, I want to address something that I haven't touched on in a little while, and that is feedback for the show. So every once in a while, I do get feedback from the show, actually quite regularly, and I haven't spent a lot of time addressing that feedback, and that's what I want to take a bit of your time to talk a little bit about the feedback that I've been getting. I'm going to go way back to August 24th, 2015, and a message from Dave Fimio. Dave Fimio was a soldier in the Toronto Scottish Regiment, and he recalled serving with me when I was a section commander there. He wrote, What a worthwhile project. Nice to see the personal accounts and recollections of those that serve and have served is being preserved for all generations. Carry on. Now, Dave was nice enough to send me a personal message as well about him recalling serving with me in the Toronto Scottish, and he also sent in a donation. So he used the donation link on the webpage to send in a donation to help with the production of the show. And if you want to do the same thing as Dave, you can just hit that link. Any amount, great or small, is appreciated. And all proceeds go directly into keeping the show on the air for you to listen to. That feedback was left on the guest book at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca. Along with that was another piece of feedback on September the 10th, 2015. This is from Graham Boyce. Graham Boyce says, The songs from the era of the Great War might interest you. And most recently, the Toronto Valor Ensemble recorded a choir album called Sacrifice and Solace, which we hope you will find online easily, in the memory of those who served and paid the supreme sacrifice, and the families that they left behind, lest we forget. Graham, thanks for the tip. I will make an effort to listen to that piece of music. I can't see how that wouldn't be interesting to me. So I will take a moment and listen to the music online of the Toronto Valor Ensemble and the choral album called Sacrifice and Solace. And if I can, maybe I can post a link to that on the website. So I've initiated a brand new social media presence on YouTube. And with that social media presence, I produced a YouTube video sort of highlighting what the podcast is all about and how people can find out more. Greg Briggs from episode 2 was nice enough to send a message. He put on great spot, Mike. Keep up the great work you are doing. Thank you for having me on the podcast. 
Listening to the show on the drive home from work is something I always look forward to. Carry on. So that's Greg Briggs putting a message in on the video from YouTube. Hopefully you'll check out the YouTube video. Simply open up your YouTube browser, type in Canadian Military History Podcast, and that's also a resource that you can use to try to explain to people why you're listening to this podcast. So if you have somebody who might be on the fence, they're not quite sure of whether or not they'd be interested in subscribing to the show, you can just show them this quick video, the quick clip. It has images from the website from all the guests of the show that have provided me their pictures, and it has a little brief clip of a sampling of each of the guests that answers a segment of the questions. I had fun producing that video, and I hope that people are having fun watching it. I have an email from Lionel Boxer, who has a CD at the end of his signature block, so clearly he's served. And he says, Hi Mike, I am enjoying listening to your podcast. Almost makes me feel homesick. Kind regards, Lionel Boxer. And that was from July 23rd of this year. Thanks Lionel for the feedback. I have a listener, Brian Colgate, who signs his signature block Pro Patria, which tells me that he is a member of the Royal Canadian Regiment, and his insignia beneath his signature block is a Canadian coat of arms. So that would kind of hint to me that Brian Colgate was a Chief Warrant Officer in the Royal Canadian Regiment. He sends a link to some of his pals trying to spread the word about the podcast to his friends Dennis and John, and he lets them know that I'm producing this show and how they can get a link. If you want to share information on the show, go ahead. Please spread the word. Get some people's attention pointed towards not only listeners, but hopefully becoming guests on the show as well. Something else I can offer you, just on a sidebar here, we're not quite done with listener feedback, but I'm going to make this offer or this pledge to you. If you have a guest on the show who happens to be a member of your regiment and you're looking for content for your regimental newsletter, or your web page, and you'd like me to produce a little page or half page or a little ad for your newsletter telling people where they can listen to the stories of members of your regiment, please just send me a message. Once again, the email address is cmhp at gmail.com. I'll produce that for you in a Word document. You can just paste that right into your newsletter or convert it right into your website, however you want to do. And I've already done that service for the Lincoln and Wellen Regiment. So they reached out to me and they asked if I wouldn't mind doing one. I've had a number of members of the Lincoln Wellen Regiment on as guests to the show. And I've also had veterans who served with the Lincoln and Welland Regiment during World War II. So I'd be very pleased if you reach out to me. You say you want a little half page or a little article for your newsletter. I would be very happy to produce that for you. Now, Brian Colgate continues with a separate email to me directly, not including his friends. But nevertheless, he says, As Lieutenant Colonel Peter Fairclaw's DCO, when we formed the Central Militia Special Training Unit, I remember all those young lads well. I have followed the careers of many of them as they ascended the ranks of both NCOs and officers to the highest positions of the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada, and losses along the way, most significant being that of MWO Bruce Bamlett. Cheers. So that's Brian Colgate one more time sending me another message with regards to the episode featuring Chief Warrant Officer Scott Patterson of the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada. Though, I guess Brian Colgate was a Chief Warrant Officer based on his insignia, and now the next message he's telling me he was a Deputy Commanding Officer. So we at least know that Brian Colgate served as a Major at some point in his career. I have a message on Facebook from Ruth Fletcher, and this is in regards to the episode with Colonel Dwayne Hobbs. She says, wow, all that, and he still made time for the Toronto Military Family Resource Centre Board of Directors, including being chairman. 
and that was on July 23rd. Yes, he did. A very busy person, Colonel Dwayne Hobbs, very busy life, lots of things going on, and always has time to put effort into supporting the troops and their families. Now, what I've been in the habit of doing is every time I post an episode up, I put, create a post on Facebook, and then I go ahead and share it with the individual unit's websites. Actually, I don't share it. I reproduce it on the individual unit's Facebook page. What I might have to do is actually do that, share it, and that way all the comments reflect back to the Facebook page because many people comment on the episodes posted on their individual units. And especially when I know that I've got a guest who's been to more than one unit, then it gets a little bit hard to track down that feedback after the fact when I've posted not only on the Facebook page for the podcast, but the Facebook page, for example, the Royal Canadian Regiment, and then I post on whatever unit that person served with outside of the Royal Canadian Regiment. So it does get a little bit harder to track down that feedback. So I'm going to have to figure out how to do that with this episode to make sure that I'm posting things where people can find it right away. Today's guest is Warrant Officer Glenn Moore from the Royal Regiment of Canada. And I met Glenn when he was my initial section commander during my recruit basic training. And we're going to get into that later on in the episode as we discuss that event. I reached out to Nick Webb, Glenn's former regimental sergeant major at the Royal Regiment of Canada. And I asked Nick to write a few sentences about his impressions of Glenn Moore just to kick off the show. So Chief Warrant Officer Nick Webb writes... Glenn joined the Royal Regiment of Canada in the early 80s. He progressed through the ranks and eventually retired as a warrant officer. He was one who always exemplified dress and drill. He was the mainstay of the regiment's pioneers and grenadiers for many years and eventually was appointed to the position of pioneer sergeant. Glenn was always a professional, caring soldier and reservist, whether in the field or on the parade square. I was proud to serve with him. So that's a quick reflection on the period of service of our guest today, Glenn Moore, by his former RSM, Chief Warrant Officer Nick Webb. One other note, I'm a little bit jealous. I got this brand new microphone and I did the interview with Glenn and his side of the recording sounds way better than mine. So I'm going to have to troubleshoot and find out why my microphone, my brand new digital microphone doesn't sound as good as whatever equipment Glenn was using when we recorded the show. That's just a sidebar, a funny note, but without any further ado, here's my interview with Warren Officer Glenn Moore. Warren Officer Moore, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Mike. Now, Glenn, you and I first met on my general military training basic at Fort York Armory in 1989. And back then, to qualify as an infantry soldier, we had to essentially take three courses. Your general military training basic, which qualified you to be in the Canadian Forces, and then the general military training. And then you had to go away for your infantry training. So it was a pretty long go, three solid courses And a lot of it was repetitive. Something I remember from that course, hopefully you remember as well, was that the majority of the course got sick from food poisoning. We had a catering company called Bowdoin Catering. And anyone who was trained in the 80s or early 90s in Toronto would remember Bowdoin Catering. And they served us chicken for lunch. But I had had my wisdom teeth removed. And I was on antibiotics. So I was the only one on the course who wasn't sick. Do you remember that? I do remember vaguely that episode where the catering company came in and a lot of people got sick. That probably wasn't the first time that that happened. Generally, Bowdoin Catering was pretty good overall, but on a few occasions from time to time, this kind of thing did happen over the course of the time that I spent in the military. But there was a lot of unhappy people during that one particular afternoon. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Lo and behold, you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah. 
So it was pretty funny showing up in the morning and I was fit and ready to go and everybody else was dragging their butt around and half of the instructors didn't even show up the next day. But anyhow, I also remember that you had made a comment to me when we did the field portion of my basic training and you had commented to me that there was no such thing as camouflage bungee cords and you were quite upset that you had to set up your hooch with brilliantly colored bungee cords. And then when I went to Germany... They were selling camouflage bungee cords out of the RCR kit shop in Baden-Baden. And I thought, you know what? I know it's not appropriate for a private to be buying gifts for a sergeant. I'm going to get him a pack of these camouflage bungee cords just to make his day. Well, that was very nice of you, Mike. I do remember that because the typical bungee cords that you normally get are not ideally the ones that you would want to set up a camouflage hoochie tent in a hide, for example. So getting actual camouflaged bungee cords was much appreciated and a thoughtful gesture. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Glenn, I sent you the questions in advance. Are you all set to go? Yes, I am, Mike. How about you tell the listeners why you chose to join the Canadian Armed Forces? Well, Mike, I joined the Canadian Armed Forces, the Royal Regiment of Canada, in October 1981. My mother gave me the initial push. She showed me an article in the Toronto Star, Come Soldier with the Royals. That was like a quoted tagline in the Toronto Star. I cut out that article, and I was quite intrigued on that really caught my eye. I think that's what I needed at that time in my life. I was 16 years old, going to be turning 17 soon, and little did I know what an adventure I was in store for, that's for sure. So... I do remember I was in the typical long-haired 17-year-old kid, probably, I think, grade 10, grade 11, something like that. Kodiak boots, lumber jacket. <laughs> Took the initiative. I went down to Fort York Armory, and as soon as I went in the front door, I saw that sign that's still there to this day, the Royal Regiment of Canada, Soldier with the Royals. And they had the picture, the red background with the bearskin with the plume in it. Right. But I still didn't know what actual room to go to. And I was lucky enough to just go off to the left where there was a recruiting office that was right there. And lucky enough, I found the Royal Regiment of Canada. Later on in the years when I served, there were certain incidences where NCOs grabbed the first person that they saw coming into the armory and said, well, you're going to come over to this regiment. And lo and behold, they probably didn't know where they ended up going. Right. But I think everybody who came down there at the end of the day definitely enjoyed their time down there. I know things are different. You go to a recruit place up at Young and Shepherd, for example, and you can request a unit to join and you get all your paperwork done. And then you kind of go into the unit that you want to serve in, like, for example, infantry or armored or that kind of thing. So back then, it was a lot different. Like you would actually show up and join at the actual armory, whereas nowadays you'd go up to a recruiting office and speak to an NCO up there and get some information and stuff. So it's a little different. I think they're getting a lot of people that are joining in the Canadian Armed Forces nowadays, from what I can tell. Yeah. And I think the military's in very good shape. Excellent. So, Glenn, what was the world like when you joined way back in 1981? The early 80s were great, Mike. I was in high school, grade 10 or 11, at Sir Oliver Mowat Collegiate out in West Hill, and I loved listening to classic rock music. <laughs> the world seemed very good back then compared to today in some respects. To me, society and people seemed easier going and things weren't as complicated. I was happy that I was trying something that I was hoping would make my mother happy and proud of me. Right. I could have easily went down the wrong path or wrong road, and I'm glad I didn't. There's a lot of things that I remember back in the high school back then. 
there was a different crowd and you either fit in or you didn't fit in. I wasn't really too concerned about that. This was something that I didn't expect to happen at that time in my life. But the first year after I joined, when I completed all the courses and got qualified, I had all the confidence and everything. And after that point, I felt very good about being in the military. And even though I had a lot of years service and a lot of some ups and downs, that general discipline and motivation and the confidence from the first year were very valuable. I've seen guys show up on the first day of a course and leave by the end of the day. Right. So this kind of thing happened quite frequently over the different recruit courses that I taught and I witnessed were involved in. Now, you fleshed out the question of what you were like when you joined very well. So I won't ask that question. But what I will ask is what is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement? I would have to say earning the Canadian decoration for 12 years of continuous service, as well as passing the first ever regular four standard 6B warrant officer course, which was a three-week <laughs> summer course in Gagetown. That was back in 1995. Well, I wouldn't really call it summer because I remember there was snow on the ground. <laughs> it was the month of May, but we were glad to see summer coming by the time the end of that course came around. That's right. <laughs> I remember that very well. I also enjoyed being the Pioneer Sergeant for many years and participating in the Sesquicentennial Guard in 1984, where we learned every single drill movement in the CFPAM 201. That drill was very similar, if not the same, to the changing of the guard that happens in Ottawa as well as London, England. That was a good summertime job. A funny point was the officers said, well, if they made a mistake during the parade, that they would buy a case of beer for the guard. And lo and behold, we had quite the complimentary beer almost every week <laughs> Right. by some of the mistakes. But after a while, we had a saying where the drill movement was stand very still. That was the timing that we were getting into our minds with regards to the cadence and the pauses in between the different respective drill movements. Right. So we were saying stand very still. And to this day, I remember that very well. That was a very good time. It taught me a lot about the different types of drill that I'd never seen before up to that point. And it was an honor and a privilege to be part of it. Well, I always found that emphasis on the pauses makes the drill movement better. I mean, visually better as a seated guest, as a spectator, as a member of the reviewing party. When the pauses are emphasized and the movements are like lightning fast, it makes the whole parade come off so much better. I remember on the presentation of Colors Parade for the Royal Regiment of Canada and the Toronto Scottish, I insisted that the present arms be done to a four count and everybody looked at me like I was crazy. But I had learned that from being on parade with the 48th Highlanders of Canada when they received their colors back probably in 1991, if I was to guess, and they had insisted on a four count in order to exaggerate those pauses. So I didn't just make it up. I knew what I was doing. I knew what worked. I understand exactly what you mean. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what's an assault pioneer from your point of view? Well, the assault pioneer is for the Royal Regiment of Canada. It's a ceremonial drill, but in the actual field operations, it would be leading the battle group or the regiment into battle and clearing out all the trees and being like an engineer on the field and clearing mines and stuff like that. But nowadays, the assault pioneer or pioneer platoon is more of a ceremonial drill unit that replicates a certain era in the regiment's history. For the Royal Regiment of Canada, pioneer platoon, we're replicating the 10th Royal Grenadiers 
which goes way back in history, back to 1800s. And we followed a drill pan that was around that time period to perform what we call clear the parade square for the regiment to come in before they come on on a ceremonial parade. Right. Now, this fit in very well back in the early 80s when we all the regiment wore bearskins with the plumes. And for the pioneers, they would wear an apron and backpacks and double sole hobnail and cleats. And we would also have grenadiers with us, which would be our protection. They would have Snyder Enfield rifles, and we would go through different slow, methodical drill movements to clear a parade square, kind of representing how we would do it if it was in an actual battlefield. Again, it was slow, methodical, was nothing very fast about it. It was designed to serve a purpose to let the audience know that we're coming in and we're clearing this parade square in order for the band and the regiment to come in there. Of course, we would be part of the actual ceremony parade, but we would actually do our clear grounds first, report that the parade square is clear, and then everything else would carry on after that. I've seen other ceremonial pioneer platoons, for example, the Queen's Own Rifles skirmishers. That's right. They do theirs double time, and I believe the 48th Highlanders have pioneers as well, don't they? I think so. I've seen them wearing a similar outfit to what the Royal Regiment in Canada wears. I've never heard them call them that, but I'm sure it's quite similar. I think so. I have as well, but I'm not sure if they're pioneers or grenadiers. But essentially, they're ceremonial drill units. I remember one time when they had a caravan that was in Fort York Armory. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> and we did several shows over a course of a week or two. And the United States Army drill team came in on one of the days. And I was like, wow, this is my chance to see these guys live because I've seen them on TV and I knew what they were capable of doing. But once you see that in person, you're wowed. And the thing that caught my eye was they arrived on a bus and they carried all their uniforms with them. They weren't actually in their full dress on the bus themselves. They had everything hanging up. So everything came off the bus and it took them 20 minutes to get ready. And then they came on the parade square and they went through all their drills. For us, we were more kind of slow paced where we organized our aprons and we white-owed and we did every bit of kit on fold-out tables. So the thing that really struck me was one of their NCOs came downstairs and he saw all of our stuff laid out and he was quite amazed on the meticulous attention to detail that we took to organize our kit and do every part of it. For them, they are well turned out. There's no doubt about it. And I'm sure that they spend a lot of time on their uniforms and stuff. Right. But the thing is, after working with these guys, after a while, they kind of understood exactly what we we're doing. And we had a good camaraderie and we had a lot of mutual respect for each other's groups after that. So that was quite interesting to see that unfold. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to work on a ceremonial event with another military, especially the Americans and the Brits. It's very memorable. It's always a good time. Glenn, who is your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered? There was certainly a lot of people who had a lot of influence and interesting characters. Former Royals RSM, Toronto Scottish RSM, Chief Warrant Officer Nick Webb is a very good friend of mine. Me too, yep. Whom I consider a mentor and influential in my career and also my personal life. I admire and respect him in so many ways. Another person who was influential when I first joined was former Royal Master Warrant Officer, CSM, Lieutenant Colonel, Toronto Scottish, Mike Trainer. Right. 
He was my first sergeant major when I first joined, who instilled dress, drill, and deportment. He never passed a fault during the inspections. I remember one time our company was the only one who had a perfect score in the CMA infantry competition at that time when we were preparing for it for our perfect turnout and kit list. That was quite impressive because I remember countless times that we would show up and go through a rehearsal and do a pre-inspection even before that competition. But that's what he demanded from us. He wanted perfection and we understood exactly what was required and we fulfilled it. We knew we were going to get a perfect score. <laughs> I just remember going through that. And when we found out we were the only regiment unit at that particular competition that had a perfect score for that particular category, that felt really good because that just later on in my career, when I was inspecting troops, that came into play where it's like I never passed a fault. I always right. made sure that the troops had the right kit, that they were turned out made sure that that was taken care of. Well, Mike Trainer was also a great influence when he came over to the Toronto Scottish. I was learning how to become a Master Corporal, and he had just been appointed as the Regimental Sergeant Major. He ran us through a couple of professional development sessions, really gave us a better perspective of our roles as leaders. And as you said, and as you highlighted quite effectively, he did focus on attention to detail. He did focus on care and welfare of the troops and making sure that we were professionally competent in our roles as leaders. And I'll always remember him for that as well. Anybody else come to mind? How about some memorable characters? Oh, I'm glad that you touched on that one because there's certainly an interesting memorable character was former RSM Chief Warrant Officer, RCR Captain Mady Mtiaz. <laughs> he really instilled thinking outside of the box. One of his favorite quotes and sayings was, Everywhere we went, we told everyone that we were Canada's most senior infantry battalion. Even though we weren't, <laughs> I think everyone actually started believing and wanted to make sure that we lived up to that and we were the best. Royals were typically known for rolling up their sleeves at any time during the year. There were certain dress codes, obviously winter dress and summer dress. Out in the field, we would wear rolled up sleeves in certain occasions, obviously not in field exercise or stuff like that. But that's the kind of things that gave you swagger and you get known for that around the garrison or the district. But that particular quote, I still think about that to this day. It was definitely a few times here and there that we would say that kind of thing. And some people were left scratching their head and they're going, <laughs> they're starting to wonder, are the Royal Regiment of Canada, Canada Senior Infantry Patrolling? But if you say something so many times, mentioned previously, then people are going to start believing. But you have to back it up. Yeah. And we certainly did. Well, you try and think about it in a certain way. I'm sure that you could say it. I mean, if you say the Queen's Own Rifles, well, we could call them a rifle battalion. Maybe the Camerons are senior, but maybe they're a Highland battalion. And if you want to, you, know, you can play with the words and maybe you could find a way to make it fit. There's probably a loophole in there somewhere to make it accurate. And getting back to the example of thinking out of the box, one time I remember he came up with this really good idea. We were on a winter exercise, running late to move to a different position. We just finished cooking all these meals, so we had to move in quite a hurry. We had an empty water jerry, and he came up with an idea of putting all the cooked meals inside of the empty water jerry and using that as an actual insulator and put the cap on. It was only one empty water jerry. I mean, we had others to be self-sufficient. When we moved to the next positions, which was probably another hour or so away, and by the time we got into the new position and stuff like that, we just took those meals out and they were still hot. So that, to me, was a good example of thinking outside of the box. I see. So the meals were still in the foil then. 
the meals were still in the foil. Okay, I had something else picked. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't actually unzip the meals and pour them into the water. Tank. Right, okay. We just good. grabbed all the Magic Pantry boiled meals and put them all into the, because there's quite a lot in the platoon, and you right. put them all into the empty water, Jerry, and it acted as a natural insulator, which was quite interesting way of thinking about that. Instead of carrying it in the cold weather, next thing you know, it's going to be rock solid ice. <laughs> right. Definitely a better plan than what I was picturing. <laughs> So, Glenn, we've come to the final question. What is the greatest challenge you've had to overcome during your service? Two years before I passed the warrant officer course in Gagetown, which I spoke about earlier, I went on a two-week TQ4 advanced training course in Padawawa during the wintertime. And being in the wintertime on a leadership course, later on in your military career, you go, well, do I really want to do a leadership course in the wintertime or in the summertime? It's pretty, uh, the numbers add up because you had a lot more kit in the wintertime. But I took this particular course on at the challenge. Upon completion, I would have been a qualified warrant officer at that time. It was very tough and challenging at Padawao in the wintertime. Right. In fact, I remember one of the nights that got down to minus 53 degrees Celsius. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> so when I say nowadays, when I say, well, that's my definition of cold, there was a couple different things that I remember specifically about that particular day, which is right in the middle of the final last week exercise. And that was one of the times where I remember I had cooked the meal. And thinking back, I wish I had that water, Jerry. I put it, <laughs> put it literally on the inside of my jacket. And when right. I pulled it out later, sure enough, it was rock solid ice. <laughs> that taught me a lot. Unfortunately, I didn't pass the course. Uh, I failed on the second last day. And seeing everybody on the last day when I was clearing up before they did, getting the stoves and everything cleared up and getting ready for the graduation dinner, that was a very tough pill to swallow. Right. You had to go back to my regiment. I had to sit back and regroup and figure out what my strengths and weaknesses were at that time. It took me two years. So that course, I believe, was in 1993 to get back on to the 1995 course in Gagetown, which was three weeks long and right. as tough or even tougher, in my opinion. Yes, definitely. As three regular force warrant officers as your section commanders in Gagetown, going out in Gagetown on the first OP at night. And I remember I got relieved. And this was night one. And I looked around, and I had my compass, had my map, and I just went, oh, it is like so dark out right now. I couldn't yeah. even... I remember that patrol, yes. <laughs> thick brush out, and I went back, and I got disoriented. And I remember I definitely was offline, and I remember I stopped at this, lucky enough to find this road. It wasn't too far away, and I went down, and I started doing all this pacing back and forth to figure out what the distances were. And I saw this one group coming down the road. I said, hey, I got a great idea. I went down on the ground, and as soon as they came up, I went through the challenging procedure. I said, well, they're not going to know who's going to be in this position. I'm just going to go say, halt, hands up, and go through the challenging procedure. So I proceeded to do that, and they gave the right password. And lo and behold, it was some of the guys on the course that were in that hide. I said, thank you very much. Can you take me back to the position? So I went back to the position and went back to my normal routine, and nobody said anything. <laughs> I learned a big lesson that night. I said. For one, if I would have overreacted and freaked out and started doing all kinds of I, – I could have failed the course that night. Right. But I used my head. I used my smarts. I looked at the map with the flashlight and stuff. I knew I was in the right area. I, yeah, sure. Maybe it was luck uh, bumping into those guys. But I knew I was on that one road, and I probably would have found my way back there. But to use the smarts of the challenging procedure and say, okay, lead me back into the actual position, I thought was pretty good. 
after I got through that one night, I had a couple ups and downs through that course, but I was glad to get through it. And it was very good feeling to feel justified to know that, okay, I went back after two years earlier, redid everything, found out what my strengths and weaknesses were and got through it. I was quite satisfied. Right. And I think I remember the course staff had you on their radar for quite a bit of time while we were on the field phase, for sure. Well, yeah, it didn't help much when I kind of went to one of the officers. And I think that was the one time where I forgot my actual sleeping gear. And <laughs> I, right. I made a comment and I said, I didn't think I was going to get that much sleep tonight. And I said, why the heck did I just say that? That's right. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they kind of gave me the first patrol after that. Yeah. Jeez, oh, that was not fun. But Yeah, they had you on their radar for sure. They were setting their sights. They were setting the sights, but I got <laughs> through it. And I remember the course officer, he goes, I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't think you were going to get through this course. I went, yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate <laughs> your comments and feedback. And then he went on, he said, but the bottom line is, and he gave me some really good highlights and stuff that I did during the field part. Right. As you know, Mike, uh, the field part on any course is extremely difficult. Some of the garrison stuff is quite hard as far as drill and some of the lessons that you're teaching. But once you get out in the field, in my opinion, it's a different ball game because that's where you really have to put everything into play. Right. Well, Glenn, we've come to the end of the four questions. Is there anything that you're working on right now, now that you've released from the Canadian Forces and you're enjoying your military retirement? I've been an active member of the Royal Regiment of Canada Association since 2007. I've held various positions. Currently, right now, I'm the past president and webmaster, so I'm working on the Royal Regiment of Canada Association website. Well, you could put a link to my podcast. How about that? (laughs) Absolutely, I will, Mike, for sure. Also, recently, the association's been involved in the CNE Warriors Day Parade for the last four years. In 2013, we placed third place, and I'm happy to announce that this past Warriors Day, we finished first place. Well done. Thank you very much for the Canon Scott Trophy, which is veteran marching groups of 15 or less. So we felt like that was a great accomplishment. We set a goal out four years ago to get ourselves organized, to participate in this parade, to get a standardized dress and to accomplish this goal of winning the trophy. So now we're going to get some more people to come on parade and move up into the next category, which is going to be the next challenge. Right. A few other things I've worked on within the association have been I call it the Operation Support the Troops Coffee and Donuts. (laughs) We use some funds from not our main account, but one of our side accounts within the association to get coffee and donuts for the troops when they return from field exercises. And that's been very well received. In fact, the word around Fort York Armory, Royal Regiment of Canada is giving their soldiers coffee and donuts. And we're going, ah, the the word's getting out that people are noticing that we're doing stuff like that for our troops. So I've been pretty happy about the success of that, organizing SAT trainer ranges down at Fort York Armory. Other kind of initiatives that we're working on, Veterans Concerns Committee, and we're in the process of getting an association coin that we're working on and also working towards going back to Dieppe in August 2016 for the 75th anniversary. So there's a lot going on with the association that's come a long way. I was the president a couple of years ago. I decided to take a bit of a break and a step back. I was let go of my previous employer. So I was in transition of going to what I was going to decide on for my civilian career. And now I'm working at Cadillac Fairview as a network engineer. Things have been going very good and just been keeping on top of all the upcoming events for the regiment as well as the association. Fantastic. Glenn, I'd like to give you an opportunity to summarize your episode. In short, Mike, I'd like to say thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. 
I've seen a lot of other members that have done this podcast. I've listened to quite a few of them myself and read their biographies. It's good to hear that the military traditions and experiences of veterans and other personnel on your podcast and the different backgrounds and different things that they've went through throughout their military careers. I know mine's just one story. Back in 1981 to 1999 is the service that I did. It was an old school mentality back when I first joined. Corporal Punishment was still around. Right. We were a different kind of group. We had a lot of different personalities. We emphasized that we liked the British UK part of our regimental history. We liked actually the punk music that came with the British UK invasion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was quite interesting to go through the recruit course and listen to that kind of music. Throughout the career, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of successes, some failures. I think for me, I had a lot of passion. I really enjoyed the years that I served. I still continue to serve in different ways nowadays. I also have volunteered at Sunnybrook Hospital, working at the K-Wing and down at the Social Club to get more direct contact with the veterans that live and stay there. Right. So that's given me some better perspective of seeing that on a different side. I know Veterans Concern, Veterans Canada is very interesting and something that everybody should keep an eye on nowadays with recent events of soldiers going to Afghanistan and after effects. I feel proud knowing that even though I left in 1999, I helped train quite a few people that eventually did go to Afghanistan. So that gives me some good esprit de corps and pride. One of the things that I did, one of the last accomplishments that I did before I left was going to Operation Ice Storm in 1998. That was kind of my 15 minutes of fame, if uh, <laughs> I want to call it that. Right. It was something that was very good at that time and it really capped off to me being chosen to be the quartermaster for Toronto Militia district for all of the district to go to Hawkesbury, Ontario for five or six days. I believe I was up there and to come back after that, knowing that I affected some real life change as far as people that were in distress from that particular weather disaster. It right. was quite the devastating effect that it had not only in Ontario, but in Quebec made me feel good to know that my past experiences were passed on to corporals that were my drivers and different things like that. So it kind of put everything in perspective, knowing that I was ready to go on any kind of operation at that point, even though that that was a peacekeeping kind of role. I think it was still very important. And I really thought it was good. I retired a year after that. I said to myself, I said, you know what? I'm okay with everything the way it is. I made a decision at that time to proceed with my civilian career. In one way, I never looked back, but at the same time, I'm still humble and I think about it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you did train a lot of people and you ended up being the first section commander for the future Brigade Sergeant Major of 32 Brigade. So I thank you for that. And I want to also thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you very much for the invitation, Mike. I really enjoyed speaking about my past and as well reconnecting with you and really appreciate it. Absolutely. Hopefully we can bend our elbows in the Warrant Officers and Sergeants mess of the Royal Regiment of Canada at Fort York Armory soon enough. I'm sure we will very soon, Mike. Thanks again. Take care. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. 
If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. NTAG music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike LaCroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike LaCroix Production.